Welcome to Rates and Barrels, brought to you by Tops and Tops Project 70. Check out Tops Project 70 today. Amazing new cards launching each and every day. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris and Britt Giroli. And yes, we are sick of sticky substances. We're absolutely fed up and tired of them, but they're not going away, as we said on the Wednesday pod. Uh, Britt, you had another great story up earlier in the day on Thursday, and I just want to get right at it because we're a little short on time today. I'm just curious, in the latest story that you wrote, did you feel like the Players Association actually wanted to talk to the league? Because the league insists that there were multiple efforts made to have a dialogue about these changes and the implementation of these changes, and yet, for some reason, the players are acting as though that never happened, which is just very bizarre. Yeah, I feel like, and um, Eno can back me up on this as well, you call the union, they tell you one thing. You call MLB, they tell you another. The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Um, But based on what we're hearing, it does seem clear that, listen, the union represents hitters and pitchers. And if there's anything we, we know over this huge stretch of sticky stuff, it's that hitters are upset. Some pitchers are upset too. So I think it's tough for the union to sit there and say, we need to protect our pitchers when half of the union is made up of guys who are like, hey, wait a second, these guys need to get punished. So it's this weird spot to be in. And I almost feel like the union maybe defaulted and was like, well, we're just going to sit here and wait and see how this unfolds. And MLB was like, well, I thought you were going to give us some suggestions. I thought you were going to fight us on this a little bit more. So it was kind of like round and round we go, right? And if your head doesn't hurt already from this stuff, then you're probably not consuming enough sticky stuff stories because my head guys absolutely pounding i can see so many points counterpoints i think that's the problem there's no actual really good solution to this and therein lies the huge problem yeah you know they can't even agree on the same set of facts um (laughs) and you know i i i (laughs) I guess I have some sympathy. You know, every time we try to write, you know, you know, Britt and I have written a co- together on this. We've written separately. Uh, every time we try to write on this, I, I and I don't want to need to speak for her, but I feel like this is true. You feel like how much can I mash into the story because it's so big that like every little thread you pull on, you're like, but then this and then this and then this and then this and it's like you you kind of want to try and focus on something, but it's not one of those things that's easy to focus on. I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me from your story was, uh, you know, just the fact that they can't agree, A, if um, sunscreen and rosin has a performance benefit. You know, League says, yes, it's worth 200 RPM. Uh, there's a Travis Sochik article that says it's worth exactly the same as rosin by itself. Exactly. And it seems like the hitters are okay with it, but... As the league said, you give them a little bit, and how many days before clubs have their own special sunscreen that looks like sunscreen, acts like sunscreen, and is definitely not sunscreen? Sunscreen. So this is awesome. (laughs) Or maybe if it has SPF factors, but it happens to basically be spider tack that you put on your arm. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, so you can't, I understand why the league feels like they have to go cold turkey because you give any of these clubs an opening and what's going to happen? They're going to expose it. This is the replay video room all over again, right? I mean, this is how these things started. Somebody from the league said to me, we got here by looking the other way on pine tar and on rosin and sunscreen. That's how we got to spider tech. That's how we got to enhanced homemade substances by looking the other way at things that we thought weren't that big of a deal. So I kind of understand why the league's like, you know what? 
nothing's allowed. This is why we can't have nice things. Blame the rest of the league, but you can't blame us. Yeah, and I think that another thing that makes it difficult is it, it is a rule on the rule books. It's been on the rule books forever. So, you know, and there, the, I don't know how much of a leg the union has to stand on because it's like, this has been a rule. All that's changing is they're enforcing it. You know, and it's like, it's not like they sprung a rule on you. It, it's been a rule. So that to a lot of people, you know, in our mentions and our comments or just in general, that's it. It's a rule. These are cheaters. That's it. But I see a lot more gray area. And, you know, the other gray area is injury. So, you know, Glass now comes out and says, you know, this is this is why I got injured. And I felt horrid <laughs> listening to those. Just felt awful. I don't want to have anything to do with anybody getting injured. Um, and at, and so, you know, the league says, no, no. The reason why people are getting injured is because they're throwing so hard. They're throwing close to their max. And they're allowed to do so because they have the spider attack. And they are. But. So there's actually some truth to that. I just read a piece by Mike Sun. Mike Sun was in your piece, Britt, a little bit, and he he kind of expounded on that and posted today a, a longer post. And what he found was in the lab, people threw harder with the spider tack on. Their velocity went up. Yeah. So if that's true, then the league is a little bit right that you know throwing harder, throwing throwing harder, and throwing closer to your maximum is more injurious. That's something that somebody has already shown it's more stressful to your arm glenn flysick sh showed this at asmi that's like a given right so if you're throwing harder with the spider attack that is okay the league is right however mike son also found that if you have to increase your grip strength because you do not have sticky substance anymore you're going to increase your fatigue by 30 percent that was in brit's article i hope i didn't give away too much there's a lot more in that <laughs> you you did a really good job of like you know kind of laying out why this is so difficult these are only a couple parts of it but I think it's a it's a good window in to be like, God, they can't they can't agree if it if it's going to lead to more injuries. They're not even looking at the same things, no. right? Baseball is just going to look at injury rates and be like, injury rates have always have been up the last two years. It has nothing to do with spider attack, right? But what if injury rates were going to go down, but the added fatigue is keeping them up? You know, for the people that are leaving, so they should really have gotten in a lab and done this work that Mike Son did, but. When they change the ball, and the ball is part of this too. That's why you keep pulling on these little strings. You're just like, ah, but the ball is part of this too. They didn't test drag when they did the ball. And when they changed this grip substance, they didn't have anybody go in a lab and throw it with and without. Or at least, not that we have any results, or not that they're giving us any. Not that Manfred is having a press conference talking about. A good summary of why you can't change these things on the fly. We talked about this last week in the sense that if I took Pelican Grip or any of those things and did some rock climbing with it, I would hurt myself. I would be able to climb higher, but I would hurt myself doing it. Therefore, being able to climb higher wouldn't be worth it in that case, right? Somebody pushed back and said the free solo guy could not have used spider tack because there's he was doing it in the wild, so that was dirty. <laughs> so after a while, his hands would just be like, Clumps That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about the surface being, you know, natural like that, as opposed to a polished, clean uh, rock inside climbing wall, wall yeah. on the inside. Oh, but God. I mean, we need sponsors for this segment because it it's just spider tag, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's got to be some enterprising young person making some other sticky substance that needs to get their brand out there. So maybe we could be that vessel. I mean, I think you're right. You know, it's it's. It's a gray area, and it's it's multi-variable. There's so many things that go into pitchers getting hurt, pitchers being good, pitchers being bad. 
you can take substances away, but anytime you change any one of those variables, the other variables are also sometimes impacted, and that makes it just so complicated to figure out. Like, we changed this. Why did this happen? Well, it's because of these other things, too, that you didn't think about. That happens every single time baseball makes a change. Yeah. And guys, what bothers me, I guess, there's a couple things that really bother me about this, but you know, one is I spoke to a lot of players, and as Eno knows, I was on the phone with people from MLB yesterday, and then I totally flipped, and I was like, listen, I'm on team MLB, I get it. And then I spoke to a lot of players, and I'm like, wait, no, I'm on team players. And um, I, I can see all these different sides here. And I think what bothers me is the insinuation that all of a sudden pitchers can just quickly adjust and take a little off or command better. Um, and what bothers me about that, what guys have said is there is a so many reasons why that doesn't work. One is say you're a pitcher, you've been in the league for five years, 10 years, whatever, you get paid to strike out guys. So now all of a sudden you're supposed to not strike out guys when that's literally all you've done. Forget grip. We're talking about becoming a totally different pitcher seemingly overnight. And now you look and you say, well, 30, 40 years ago, we had tons of finesse guys and, you know, they didn't hit anybody. Well, go back and look at some of the strike zones that some of these guys got. I, you know, I mentioned Maddox, but like Randy Johnson, just some of these, just look at. Oh, Glavin yes. had the widest strike zone known to so man. So I had a guy say to me, listen, if I could get that strike zone, I'll become a command guy. You're going to give me six inches off the plate. <laughs> Nowadays, it's outside of that little K box on our screen. And we're like, oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. The umpire I'm sorry. I couldn't this. hear you over the ro- robot umpire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there's so many different factors at play here that you just you just can't say, you know what, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, change it up. And it's just not, I mean, you, they are going to make adjustments. They are still going to be very good. But you can't just tell these guys overnight, hey, all of a sudden you've got nothing to grip with, then we want you to become a command pitcher. Like, teams are built on power Teams are built on heavy strikeout guys. Now you've got teams that are like, oh, shit, I got to get ready because the ball's going to be put in play all the time off a guy like Verlander or Scherzer or whatever. Uh, and, you know, now I got to be on my toes. Now the fact that like Yankee Stadium were built to hit these these home runs, do you, that team is built to hit home runs. Do you think all of a sudden they're going to wake up and say, you know what, we're not hitting home runs. I think we should just start hitting singles, boys. No, Whit Merrifield has led the league in hits for how many years and nobody cares. Michael Brantley leads in batting average and does anybody care? No, the you know, what you care about is Vladdy Jr. hitting bombs. That's what... Acuna, Tatis, yes. bombs, Otani. So everyone's to blame for this. Like fans who are buying jerseys that aren't Whit Merrifield, you are also to blame for this. Like it's such a big convoluted problem. <laughs> like it's just, once you think you have it down and you have a stance, you kind of have to tunnel vision. One thing... Because there's there's so many other counterpoints, it'll drive you insane. Yeah, which is where I'm at. One thing that is, is weird to me is the in season thing. I, I just feel like you know if you're a pitcher, especially starting starting pitchers, you do all this work in the off season, right? You do all the work in the off season, and then the regular season is just tweaks and little things. And maybe I'll throw this pitch more and this this pitch less. It's very rare that someone you know comes in a start in the middle of the year and is like, now I'm throwing this whole new pitch, right? That's that's a spring training thing. So. You know, it is a little bit weird to kind of like to some extent goose the timeline. I mean, they they told them about it in 2020. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to be fair to baseball. They told them about it. They told managers in 2020. They had a memo in the spring this year. But that's a little different. That those things are a little bit different than on June 21. (laughs) We are going to start doing this. You know what I mean? And I think it. 
I have to be careful here because there's no way we'll ever be able to report this. There's no way we'd ever be able to write this down. And, and I'm not actually accusing them of this. But I just wonder if the run environment was different this year, if the ball was different this year, if there was more scoring this year, would there be an in-season push or would they have let it go to the end of the season? Well. And there's no way we'd ever connect those dots because they wouldn't, if they, if they did it that way, they would never write it down anywhere. Yeah. And, and you're right. Would the hitter, what really sparked this is, you know, is the players complaining in the media. So you're right. If they were all hitting, would we have gotten here this quickly? I don't know. I tend to think no, but, you know, it's hard to say. And as Eno said, it's not like they would have had emails circulating around about this or anything, would they? Yeah, <laughs> a memo. I wouldn't rule it out. Because the strikeout rate is so high and the and there are all these no hitters, let's uh let's enforce the sticky stuff. <laughs> Signed Rob. <laughs> no. That'd be amazing. There's I don't think that that's the case, but uh yeah. more to come, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Frankly, there are some pretty exciting things happening with playoff odds right now. So we're going to talk about some teams that we think are most likely to rally from low playoff odds right now. So if you look around the league right now, there are, at my count, 16 teams in the league with playoff odds of 25% or less. There's a few that are like zeros that we're going to rule out real quickly. We don't have to talk about them. But that group includes from the Eastern Divisions, the Orioles, Phillies, Braves, Nats, and Marlins. From the Central Divisions, you have Cleveland, Minnesota, Kansas City, Detroit, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh. And then out West, you have the Angels, the Mariners, the Rangers, the D-backs, and the Rockies. So you can take out, I think, the bottom two from the West, bottom three from that West group. A bunch of those teams fall off. My question for each of you was, as you look at that group, which team or which teams are you most likely to buy into as a playoff team, one that will make some adjustments, one that you know will get players healthy or hit more than they've hit so far or pitch better or put themselves in a position to maybe make a move or two at the deadline and actually turn things around as we sit here in the early part of the second half of June. Do you have a team that really sticks out to you, Britt, one that you say, actually, I still believe despite those low playoff odds? Yeah, I think the Twins, they have flummoxed me since I don't know, I want to say April. And early on, there was an element of bad luck. Uh, there was certainly an element of they can't continue this. And then they did continue it. Uh, you know, Brian Buxton being hurt uh, certainly isn't like a best case scenario. It just seems like they tried to win and they found themselves in this territory where they were awful. And to me, it's similar to the Nationals, who these you have two teams who are like, you know what, we're going to try to win this here. We, we see this window. We see this division. We think we can win this. It's the same thing with the Nationals. And I was speaking to Davey Martinez the other day when we were actually allowed on the field. So I got to speak face-to-face to to someone. It was crazy. Um, And he said, you know, people kind of discount us, which is fine. But once they kind of leveled this ball off, that lineup might hit. You've got Schwarber. You've got Josh Bell. Juan Soto is not going to be human for very long. People feel like Trey Turner. And the Nats bullpen has been pretty good. So to me, the biggest question is what's going to happen with Max Scherzer here. 
He's on the IL with a groin strain. Is he going to come back? Is he going to be able to adapt to these new rules? Uh, because other than that, I feel like you look at the NL East, and it's a very winnable division. The Nats won a few games. All of a sudden, they're in third place. I know the Mets have been good, but let's all agree on this show that Jacob deGrom's injuries are troubling. It was his lat. It was his forearm. Now it's his shoulder. Uh, I don't think as of this recording we have a definitive what's going on in terms of diagnosis with him, but that's troubling. That's alarming, and I don't think they can get very far without him. I know they've had a lot of other pleasant surprises. Marcus Stroman has been very good, uh, but I still think that the NL East is highly winnable. So to me, it's the Twins and the Nationals who I think over the next month they're going to take a good hard look and say, you know what, I think we can still win this. And, you know, as long as they play okay, I don't see either of those teams as kind of folding. We've talked about this before. I don't think the Nationals trade Max Scherzer. I would be shocked if they did. I I just don't really see it at all. Yeah, I think those are good points. I I just wonder if the Twins have just uh, gotten too deep into the hole at 27 and 41. But you could see them going 41 and 27 pretty easy being 500 and then, you know, maybe either getting hot or getting not and getting, you know, into, into a wildcard spot at the end there. Just uh, that that's that's plausible it is the kind of team that if they got the pitching, I think um, everything would fall into place for them. Uh, one team that sticks out for me, and this is just such, I'm, I'm cheating, um, but the Indians um, are already 37 and 28, right? <laughs> so they've banked a bunch of wins and, you know, projections don't like them, which is why their playoff odds are bad. But one thing I notice when I look at their projections is that they are expected to regress in the pitching category. And there's just one thing I believe with Cleveland, and I know Bieber's on the IL and um, Tristan McKenzie looks like he's having a lost year. I just believe that they can find guys. Sam Henke's is a guy that doesn't have a great fastball. Sounds familiar. He has great, you know, breaking ball command. That's an Indians guy. Um, you know, I just think that they'll find a way to to muddle through this. They'll get their guys back, um, and uh, they won't actually give up that many runs. So I like I like the Indians there uh, to kind of I guess hold on. Uh, that's why it's cheating. <laughs> And then the other thing I noticed is that the Braves um, are projected to improve their pitching. um, And, uh, you know, that's just projections. I think on top of that, there's some news that Mike Soroka might come back this year. Um, And that could be a bit of a game changer at the end of the season. I don't have any hope that Marcelo Zuna comes back. Uh, because there's the two the two prong thing where he could come back from injury and then go on suspension uh, for his domestic violence uh, situation. So um, between the two of those, I think they're going to be missing a bat. But on top of that, we've talked about they could be good trade options with people because they have two premier center fielders. They could easily go after a Brian Reynolds, who's not necessarily the game changer that Marcelo Zuna is, but could be the glue. They're kind of missing an offensive center fielder. They keep putting defense first guys out there, Waters, Enciarte, um, and Pache. So uh, unless they move Acuna to center, you know, take a little bit of a dip in, in defense and go after the always available Adam Duvall types, uh, so, you know, just some sort of bat first, maybe even Adam Duvall himself, because, <laughs> you know, the, the Marlins look like sellers. Um, I just think that the the Braves have a lot of they have some flexibility where they can move around. They have a they have enough um, minor league star power that they can trade, um, and uh, they already have a projected improvement baked in. So, Braves and Indians for me. 
I think Cincinnati is the other team I would throw into this conversation in part because I don't know if any team in the NL Central can run away with the division. I mean, I think the Brewers and Cubs might be a little better. They only got a two-game lead right now. The gap projection-wise between the Brewers and Reds is less than five wins based on what we see at Fangraph. So that's a gap that you can close. They have the exact same run differential, which is zero. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Luis Castillo... He's been brutal so far. I'd be surprised if he was way better last four starts, though. Right. I'd be surprised if the next 20 starts from him look like the last 12 or 13 altogether do, right? That'd be pretty surprising. Tyler Malley looks really good. Wade Miley is solid. Sonny Gray is coming back from a non arm injury, and I like Sonny Gray at least as a above average starter. Maybe he's not. You know, a top 20 guy. Where is Mike Moustakis? What is wrong with him? I don't know what's happening to Mike Moustakis, but they've found a way to score a lot of runs even without him. And Nick Castellanos looks incredible. Jesse Winker is phenomenal. I think there was a internal debate about you know, who's the better candidate for NL MVP between those two players. And it, at first I was like, oh, come on, those guys? And I looked more closely at it. I was like, that's actually, there's a case for both, which... That says a lot about the offense, right? Votto's finally healthy, even though he's not typical Votto anymore. Are they the kind of team, though, that will make fewer improvements at the deadline than a lot of the other teams that we're talking about, right? Like the Atlanta narrative for me is they're looking at their window as being wide open right now, and they might even be able to get guys that will have for beyond this season some non-rental options, which puts them at a pretty nice advantage. Because if you're a team looking to get rid of some players right now, you want the absolute best major league ready players you can get. And Atlanta's on the short list of contending teams that has an excess that they would be willing to likely deal. So I think that puts them in a really, really nice spot that I wouldn't say the Reds are in at this point at all. Like Drew Waters might be the best prospect that gets traded at this deadline. Right. And I think in the case of the Reds, like if you look at the back of the rotation, you say, okay, Vladimir Gutierrez looked good so far. That's not going to last necessarily. But Nick Lodolo could give them some innings either as a starter or as a multiple multiple inning reliever. Hunter Green might be in the big leagues by the end of the season. They may go that route. They may go bargain shelf for the players they bring in and push a few more of their young guys into prominent roles. And that could be good enough in that division. So I think they belong in this conversation. Uh, to, to Britt's point with the Twins, like, I, I didn't think it would turn out like this for them at all. And that Buxton injury is huge because a healthy Byron Buxton could be an AL MVP candidate. He is showing Gleeman that sort of level. pulled the plug on the Twins, though. He did? He said they're, he said they're done? Yeah. Yeah, he had an article saying it's over. Yeah. But you're, <laughs> oh, you're no. right, though. We were talking about Buxton as an AL MVP guy, I feel like, what, in April, maybe? Um, like, as a legitimate yeah, yeah. candidate. And I think we talked on this podcast, like, is are we finally seeing what Brian Buxton can do when he's healthy? And, of course, like, probably our fault that all of a sudden he's not healthy anymore. And it sucks because... I think the Twins are a fun team to watch. I do. And we talked about like shoestring budgets. I don't see the Indians making a big move if they're still out in first place. This is a team that traded away Francisco Lindor. So I think if Cleveland's going to stumble in, they're going to stumble in by accident on a wild card berth. You know, I, I, I yeah. just, I don't, I don't, do you guys see them going out and spending a lot of money? Well, they're not going to, they're not going to acquire anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, but you're right. They're dangerous because they know how to develop pitching. And who knows what game we're going to see in the next month or two, right? Like, could we see, like, the? Re- I know I know a lot of people are overreacting right now because nothing's actually been enforced in terms of the sticky stuff. But you are starting to see, as you know, and I wrote, spin rates come down. You are, might start to see 
batting averages and runs per game and hits and balls in play and all that go up. So does that place an emphasis on a team like Cleveland that can develop pitching? Do they have a leg up or will they all come down a little bit and get knocked around? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think anyone knows. I mean, what do you... There were some hints. I mean, everyone talks about sort of breaking ball command and stuff, but there were some hints in our model that four-seamers are actually maybe going to suffer the most when it comes to taking the juice out. Because, and, and this is the one thing that in our piece, Britt, that the model missed. We just took spin out. But when you take spin out, it takes movement out. And, you know, so there's compounding effects. So there's it's going to be worse. It's going to take more strikeouts out of the game than our model suggested. And one of the ways that happens, if you look at say a certain Yankees pitcher. I'm trying not to scapegoat, but we, you know, Garrett Cole, everyone knows he's trying to quit the stuff. He's, you know, he's at the forefront of this stuff. Um, he lost three inches of ride on his fastball. Three inches of ride on a four seam is huge. It's the difference between, you know, it's a difference of, of magnitude you'd see in whiff rates. You'd see five, 10% whiff rate changes, you know, like that's how big it is. So I think in some ways Cleveland might be okay. You know, uh, they'll just throw a bunch of break balls like they always have. You know, <laughs> like I don't think of anybody on that team as having an amazing four seam, except for maybe Bieber has a pretty good one. Um, you know, could could affect him, but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. There are uh, some teams that I think are at more risk, but a couple of those teams are juggernauts, and they're probably fine anyway. It makes me wonder too if the command over stuff build of a team exactly. like the Cubs. Exactly. Indians love command. Yes. The yeah. Cubs too. Oh, the, the Cubs. Maybe it'll make my ball prediction right. Maybe. Come on, Alec Mills. Maybe all of this. Be the post spin hero that I've always wanted you to be. All of these awful changes work to Eno's benefit when his Cubs prediction comes through as a result of the rules being enforced in the middle of June of the season. <laughs> Heck of a twist if that's uh, if, if that's how it goes Zach down. Zach Davies, second half MVP. <laughs> All right, so I think we're on a few of the same teams. I think the only one that I'm, yeah, I'm probably on the Aaron Gleeman side with the the Twins probably being dead only because they have just fallen into such a huge deficit. I think I liked that roster as a, a playoff caliber team for sure going into the season. And if a 1% probability team could get in or less, they're the most likely of that bunch. But <laughs> what is that even saying at this point? Are they at 1%? The I think they're at 1%. Yeah, 1% right now. I mean, the Royals, Tigers, Mariners, Rangers, Marlins, Pirates, Diamondbacks, Rockies. Yeah, they're better than those teams, of course. Yeah. So you're saying the there's less a than five percent brigade. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wait, wait. I'm gonna look now at the the playoff odds because I had the projected standings up uh, because it's gonna tell me how much of a cheater I am. Cleveland, twenty four percent. Yeah, you were you were <laughs> at the top of the line. Braves, twelve percent. So who are the best that we didn't mention? Phillies, sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. You had Reds at twenty five percent. Yeah, I, I cheated too. Uh, oh man, there's a lot of stratification, dude. The 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 separation between who's in and who's not is has begun. It's almost over. Yeah, the Angels are at ten percent right now. Yeah, the Angels at ten percent, and then all those other guys you were mentioning are almost at zero. Yeah, and it's just weird that the Twins are in that group and not in like the Angels group, where it's like, okay, like it could happen, but they're <laughs> which ironically, of course, is the line from Angels in the outfield, but. The twins are not in that group. They're they're Cardinals at thirteen percent. Jack Flaherty comes back. You know Carlson and O'Neill look like re- legitimate, you know, parts of an outfield. I have said it before. 
I'm going to say it one more time. It's the last time yeah. I'm ever going to say this. Ooh. Never, you ever, sound like ever, parent. ever count out the Cardinals. Never, <laughs> never. Devil magic. Devil magic. We'll be here long, long after the rest of us are gone. The Cardinals will still be winning games and putting gold <laughs> trim on their uniforms and rubbing it in everyone's face because that's what they you do. You sound like an, ML, an NL Central oh my fan. Oh, gosh. <sighs> All right. All right. Let's uh, get to our next topic, which I think is also pretty fun. Awards odds. And we'll focus on the AL on this episode. We'll get to the NL for uh, next week. The AL MVP odds from BetMGM have basically turned into a two-player race. It is now Vlad Jr. versus Shohei Otani. Based on the odds, there is no one else who's going to win the AL MVP. Because of injuries to guys like Trout and Buxton and some of the candidates that we had earlier this year, do you agree? Do you think we're actually at a point where it is truly down to those two? Obviously, those are the right two players based on what we've seen so far. And uh, If you look at Vlad Jr.'s rest-of-season projection, ridiculous. Like One of the best rest-of-season projections I think I've ever seen for someone not named my trout. But if I said you can have one of those two or you can have the entire field in the AL, would you want your choice of one of Vlad and Otani or would you want the field? Vlad and Otani. Uh, listen, we've been talking about how offense might pick up here. So can you just imagine what Vlad and Otani are going to do? It, the only trouble with determining, deciding right now between those two is. Otani can obviously pitch as well. So how much does that factor in? I just think it's it's not like the straight apples to apples comparison. And I'm not one of those people who thinks like pitchers can't be MVPs. Like, no, they can and they should uh, if they are truly the most valuable player in that league. Um, it's just tough because how do you compare what Vlad's doing to what Otani's doing when they're totally different players? The only guy I've got that uh, could make it interesting is Xander Bogarts. And the reason why is he kind of uh, gives you a third option. Vlad is the hitter's champion. Otani is the hitter plus pitcher's champion, but doesn't have any sort of defensive value. And then Bogarts, um, if you just look at war, Bogarts is Otani's equal right now. I, you know, that's Fangraph's war. I'm not saying that that's, you know, that's the end of discussion, but. You know, that does say that Bogarts, to me, is at least in the, in the discussion. And he brings plus shortstop defense along with the bat. So I think if you made it a trika, I'd say one of those three. Because the story the story is always important, too, right? And if Boston makes the postseason when nobody thought they would, Bogarts could be the champion of that story. So he could be the people's champ. <laughs> well, like, you know, it's weird because I'd say the all around because, you know, defense plus offense. But he doesn't pitch, so Otani could really bring the, the sort of all-around uh, championship to yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good point. Bogarts, to me, is just so, so underrated, even though it seems impossible in Boston to be underrated. He is. He doesn't really <laughs> command the headlines. Like, did you guys know he's about to be, at some point next season, if he stays healthy, he'll be the guy who's played the most games ever in Red Sox history at shortstop, um, mm. it, 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 which, like, nobody ever talks about. Nobody ever talks about when he came up. The whole debate was, when are we going to move this guy off of shortstop? Third. Yeah. And he's still a plus shortstop defender. He's he's just such a steady guy. And I know he's been a big presence for some of, some of the younger Latin players. You know, he speaks like a million languages because he's from Curacao, similar to Jonathan Scope, 
all those guys just really get to be chameleons. Um, they speak so many languages. They're so accessible. They're so down to earth. Uh, I really, I'm glad you mentioned Xander Bogarts because even in Boston, I feel like even playing for the Red Sox, nobody talks about him enough on the national scale. Yeah, he probably won't lead the league in homers or, you know, maybe probably not batting average. He's, he's right there and he's probably not the best defender, but you put all those things together. He's right there. Yeah. So with Bogarts, it's funny that you guys kind of honed in on him because I just talked about him for the Friday Athletic Baseball Show with Keith Law. And the notes I had put together said literally, Xander Bogarts might be the most overlooked big market player in baseball. And my supporting evidence was that he's tied for ninth in F War since 2017. So he's been better than Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, Chris Bryant, Trey Turner, and Trevor Story among others. And he's just never mentioned in the same breath as those players in general baseball conversations. He's clearly an early round fantasy baseball player. We've been drafting him and being been very happy with the stats that he's been giving us for years. Like the fantasy community knows all about Bogarts, but you just don't hear him mentioned in the same breath as those other guys who have several MVPs between them. He's got a uh He's got a good personality too. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's not as flashy as Tatis or something. It's not as, you know, it doesn't lead to his, the highlights the same way. It doesn't, you know, doesn't have his, the same sort of, uh, I don't know, style, I guess. Um, but it's cool. I mean, it's it's really lunch pail. I mean, people would say lunch pail, I think, if, if you were white. Truth. The <laughs> other award that's really interesting in the American League is the Cy Young Award. And it's interesting for the things you were saying before about Garrett Cole specifically. He is the favorite. He is minus 165 to win the AL Cy Young. The other uh, closest contenders are Lance Lynn at plus 500 and Carlos Rodon at plus 500. Then you get up to Shane Bieber at plus 1300. He's hurt right now. Uh, Tyler Glass now at plus 2200. Not going to happen because of his injury. Don't. Do not, do not go bet on Tyler Glass now, right now. And then it's a bunch of long shots. John Means plus thirty five hundred, Ryu plus four thousand, Giolito plus five thousand. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, I don't think, given what we know about Cole specifically and the adjustments he's trying to make, I don't think he should be this much of a favorite. But the problem is, I cannot easily identify which of those long shots I think could make up enough ground to actually win the award. I think it's possible, and I'm intrigued by it, but I'm just curious what your take is on this. Like, Do you think there's a chance that that Cole could slip just a little bit here, again, no pun intended, and actually open the door for someone else to win the AL Cy Young? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I was just talking to somebody about him on the phone before this podcast, and you know, the person said, and it's true, if you watch Garrett Cole and you watch him last night, Clearly, he said he can't grip the ball. He all of a sudden becomes a different pitcher. He makes adjustments better than most other people, and that's why he's Garrett Cole. So even if he comes down a peg, the rest of the league might be coming down a peg too, and I just don't see guys catching up to Garrett Cole or passing Garrett Cole. I just I just don't, and I think the sticky stuff has overshadowed and made us question every stat that we've seen, every good start that we've seen. Uh, Garrett Cole... Yeah, is he going to come down a tick? Sure, they're all going to come down a tick, but he's still a really good pitcher. He's a really smart pitcher, and I think he's going to find ways to continue to flummox lineups. Yeah, I think you know, I think it's it's uh, interesting. I think he prepared for this. <laughs> uh, I'm now looking back on a piece that uh, Lindsay Adler and I did together 
about his changeup usage and how that mimics uh, the the Yankees have increased their changeup usage and the league uh, is doing a little better on changeups recently. And I wonder if some people have been throwing their changeup uh, in preparation uh, for this moment. But uh, now looking back, uh, he's I think maybe one of his last pitches of the game last night was a 95 mile hour changeup. It was really funny. Uh, exchange between Lindsay Adler and him on Zoom, where uh, she said that you know that last pitch at 95 was that a changeup? And he said yeah, and her, she couldn't help herself. She said how? And then she she tried to catch it and was like, I mean, <laughs> and like change. <laughs> he was laughing about that, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he has a he has a really good changeup, so may, he might be able to get some more soft contact and uh, and he's you know throw kind of four or five pitches. Uh, and be more of a, a, a true mix guy. That was actually one of the things he did when he left Pittsburgh. You know, one of the things I think he did at Pittsburgh was being too in love with his fastball, especially his sinker. So leaving Pittsburgh, he threw his slider and his and his and his curveball more. And I think we we'll see a similar adjustment. And that's something that we've heard from people within the game while we've been reporting on this. I think, which is that like, you know, everyone's going to fall. The best are still going to be the best. Um, and I still see that for Cole. I'm, I'm looking up and down the, I, I often use RA nine war because, um, Fangrass war like leaves out the whole homers bit. And also I think it's a little bit unfair because there's, a, there's something about that. That seems to you, you're kind of regressing. You're saying by leaving homers out, you're saying what should have happened in a way with Fangrass war. Hmm. Um, and when you're, I think voting on a Cy Young, you should almost just look at what did happen. You know, only what did happen. So uh, I look at RI9 War and Cole's at the top um, and Lynn is right there. So that's interesting to me. Uh, it's a good team. He's got some narrative behind him. And then Giolito, I, I go, that's Cole's one, Lynn is two. And then I skip over everybody until Giolito, which is all the way down at 18 right now. But um, he's really, he's really brighted ship. If you look at Giolito's numbers in terms of, you know, the shape of his season, he started out poorly. Um, and I'm trying to get the game log up here real quick. But he started out poorly with, you know, he had a seven run uh, episode at, uh, against Boston. And if you kind of uh, start this in May, if you if he just started his season in May, uh, he would have right now a 304 ERA um, and 11 strikeouts per nine. So it's a little bit of a different situation there for Giolito. If he continues the string he's on, uh, he could close that gap. I think Giolito meets one of the requirements to be a contender for the Cy Young Award and that he's on a good team. So if the White Sox win the Central and they win it convincingly and his you know, next 16, 17 starts get him close to 200 innings, he's got a shot at that, and bring his ERA down maybe into the high twos, possible, right? He could have a stretch where he's pitching to like a 180 or 2 ERA for the rest of the season, suddenly his numbers look very similar to someone like Cole's. Like if Cole tracks up a little bit, it gets close and it comes, it could come down to something like wins, right? It always can. It's, it's the silliest thing sometimes that, that can break the ties when it comes to these awards because they're, they're voted on. They're not determined by purely statistics. They are determined by voters. Yeah. Does that, does that mean they might, you know, steal from each other, Lynn and Giolito? I guess that's a little bit of a concern. Um, and, and with Rodon there too, that could be something of a concern. But plus five thousand on Giolito. If you had to take a long shot bet on AL Cy Young, I think that'd be uh, a really good place to go. Let's get to uh, a game show that I, I've made up. It's called Three Strikes. Wait, Wait are we no, not going to do yeah, the no NL? 
next week. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, save it up oh, for now. We split it up. Fair oh. Yeah. If we looked at the rundown, Britt. Yeah. yeah, good job. Good job, guys. <laughs> I, I think I told you guys. I wanted to be a game show host. I, I warned you about the game show. So you you had a chance. And you, maybe you ignore my Slack messages too, though. That's that's possible. Is there is there a bot you can get that just takes a Slack message and quickly archives it and throws it into the trash? <laughs> or or reaches out of the phone and slaps a person with it? <laughs> It's not uh, not a cartoon situation here, but that'd be, that'd be pretty amazing <laughs> if it actually had that. So uh, the game is called Three Strikes. It is a very simple game show, but it's fun. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to pull up a leaderboard. You guys are not going to pull up that leaderboard. You're going to just make eye contact with the uh, camera in front of you and, and not have your hands on, on phones <laughs> and whatnot. Now, guess who's looking at the rundown? <laughs> I didn't put the answers in the rundown because I thought, if you got busted not looking at the rundown, you'd immediately go to the rundown to see what I was going to throw at you. <laughs> you so now twice. I got you. I'm, I'm in your head. I'm two steps ahead of you right now. Absolutely just crushing it right now. So here's what I did. I have a leaderboard in front of me. It is rest of season hitter projections according to the bat. The regular bat, not the bat X. Shouldn't be that different overall anyway. They're close. But what we're looking for is any hitter projected to hit 20 or more home runs between now and the end of the season. It's called three strikes because you get three incorrect answers before you're eliminated. It's going to go back and forth. So if Britt names a player that's a correct answer, Eno can't name the same player, right? So we're going to see who gets more points before you guys hit three strikes. So Britt, because you weren't attempting to cheat by looking at the rundown while finding out that there was a game show. <laughs> you have the honor of going first. I need a player projected to hit 20 or more home runs at some point between now and the end of the season, according to the bat. Vladdy Jr. Yes, he's 25. He's tied for senior. fourth. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, judge. Yep, 24. 1-1. One, one. Britt? Uh, Tatis? Yep, 26. He is third. 2-1 Brit. You know? Suarez. Suarez is correct. He's actually projected for the most. 28 for Eugenio Suarez. Back to Brit. Oh, shoot. Soto. Yes, Juan Soto is mm. correct with 20 exactly. Just makes the cutoff. 3-2 Brit. Back to Eno. Acuna. Yep, Acuna second on the list at 27. How many are there total? Looks like there are about... There's a little more than 30 because I had to expand the leaderboard. Wow. Okay. We're in trouble because I was like, oh, there's only going to be like 10 and we got six. So we're doing good. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> three, three, no strikes. Hey, that's a good start. All, All right. right. All right, Britt. Uh, Manny Machado. Manny Machado. Off to a little bit of a disappointing start. A narrow miss at 19. So one strike Ooh. for Britt. Oh, damn. 19. Oh. That hurts. <laughs> that's a terrible, that's a terribly unfortunate miss. It's probably like nineteen point four rounded down to Stanton. Stanton is a yes at twenty three. So Eno now has a four three lead. Brit's got Duh. one strike. Damn you, Eno! I figured that they would be building in some like kind of IL stint for Stanton. They never do enough. They never do enough. That's why, Stanton. literally, why I didn't pick him is I'm like, uh, he's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what about Bo Bichette? Bo Bichette. I don't think the projections like him enough for power yet. God, I'm going to strike out. I think it'd be a fun one, though, 
just from a, you know, who's most likely to do it, who's not projected to get to 20, he's got 17 projected. So a very narrow miss. So two strikes on Britt. You know, has got a 4-3 lead. He knows crushing me. Matt Olson. Matt Olson is correct. He's got 25, so he's tied with Vlad Jr. for fourth. All right, so 5-3 Eno. Britt's down 0-2 in the count. In trouble what? here. Here it comes, the walk-off. All right, I need another, another guaranteed 20. I'm like blanking. I'm going through like the best teams I know, and somehow I'm just, just blanking on guys who probably are going to hit 20 home runs. Uh... Yeah, trying to go through divisions. Yes. Uh... Oh. I just thought it was a pretty easy one. <laughs> Steal his easy one. Get his easy one before uh, he does, Britt. Pete Alonzo. Yes, Pete Alonzo. Oh, that's Tied for fourth. Shohei Otani. Yep. Uh, we literally just spoke about him. We just talked about him, right? Yeah. That was my easy one. 6-4 <laughs> now, you know, two strikes on Britt. Uh, and now I'm like talking myself out of potential. Look at Eno. He's like, oh, I got another one. I got MLB Network scrolling on my TV, and they just scrolled the home run leaderboard, and it's jogging my memory. Oh, no, I, don't, I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> he is looking up. Uh, Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Freddie Freeman is correct. Oh, that was that was the one I just thought. Yeah, <laughs> 23 Crap. projected. Uh, same as Otani. All right. I'm going to go to the injury well here. This is risky. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. They love him. Barely in at 21. So that makes it 7-5 Eno, I think, if my count is correct, and... Britt still sitting with the two strikes. All right. I've got another like potential, maybe, maybe not. Real Muto. Real Muto is a no. no. I'm going to confirm how many he's projected for because I'm curious. I wonder if he's around the same range as Bo Bichette. That might be one. He's at 13. You know what? His playing time yeah. is lighter by comparison because they do ding catcher playing time probably more than they should in the case of I Real cheated because I took the injury guys. I knew they don't ding them enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you know gets the you know gets the win. How many others can you name? You know, we'll just go until yeah. you get one strike. Okay. Um. Somebody. Uh. Trey Mancini. Mancini is a near miss at 18, actually. There you go. This guy's right. All right. So a couple surprising ones that won't make you go to three because that's kind of ridiculous. The most surprising names for me, Sal Perez is one of the catchers on there at 22. Justin Upton is at 22. I wouldn't have got him for sure. Tyler O'Neill. Oh, my boy. That's a good one. My big, beefy boy. Arenado Endeavors Endeavors and Chris Bryant. Like. You expect oh, to see those man. guys there. Devers Chris Bryant? Wait, we, we didn't name a Where are we? we? Bryant? We didn't cub. even go to the Cubs. There's two Cubs on there. Rizzo's probably on there too, Javier right? Baez no. is on there. It's, Rizzo. Is Rizzo on there? Rizzo is not. Not. Rizzo would have been a trap. A Rizzo is a trap I'm, player. I'm still mad that Machado's 19. No. Like, really? Hosmer yeah. is a no. No. He's not on there. Uh, Joey Gallo. Always, always a good choice for power yeah. projections. Both the Reds I mentioned earlier. Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, and both Castellano. in there. Oh, Projections on. buying it. I'm so mad now. <laughs> I am not a Reds fan, but I'm, I'm telling you, the Reds are they're scarier than people uh, believe that they are. Nelson Cruz, of course, still on there oh, at 22. Uh, highest on the board that you guys didn't get was Jose Ramirez, in part because volume. But, I mean, even with less volume, he would have made it. 24 home runs projected for Jose Ramirez for the rest of the season. I'm kind of embarrassed for us. We miss, he's the only hitter on that team. I was going to go east to west in the AL first. So I, I messed that one up. What was your 
process going through trying to like recall were you going you're going team by team you know yeah i was just doing power hitter i was doing the best power hitter for each team <laughs> what were you doing in your head <laughs> that Brit? was my yeah, that's what i was trying to do but then i was blanking like why didn't i go to the cubs who have played surprisingly well yeah, I didn't think about the Cubs Honestly, at all. Manny so threw weird. me, and then once I got that wrong, I started really second-guessing everything I was saying. <laughs> yeah, Manny, I didn't realize what his season actually looked like until I was making rundowns for today's pods, and he's one of the reasons the Padres' offense hasn't really been as good as we expected it to be. Hitting... But his, his process stats look okay. Yeah, right. His, yeah, his plate skills are fine. He's walking more than ever. K rate still under twenty percent. It it's a two forty two three twenty six four twenty three line though for Machado. That's Where's the, the slugging? It's the lowest slugging percentage yeah. of his entire career and the lowest batting average of his career so far. I couldn't find a reason. I was going through it. Uh, you know, a player asked me actually, and we were just kind of going through it. And I was like, I don't see, I don't see a reason for it. Yeah, sticky stuff. The sticky stuff, you know. <laughs> It could be. The The point of the game, though, really was to get some of those outlier surprising names in there because they're good trade targets in fantasy. They're just good players that people are overlooking. The other Upton is like so acquirable and like, yeah, it'll come with like a 230 batting average, but he also gets super streaky. Mm-hmm. So you could actually get lucky, pick up Upton and get like a 280 average for a couple of months before he goes in the tank again. So, yeah, I mean, the other guys around the bottom of the list, Teoscar Hernandez at 21. Uh, Jose Abreu at 20, Franmil Reyes at 20. Say, I was actually worried about saying I Abreu. I was too. I was going to say Abreu and decided not to say yeah. Abreu. Yeah, he would have been a correct. Reese Hoskins in there. And Ryan McMahon projected for 20 more. I like that. Oh, I got the wrong Oriole, dude. I was I was thinking McMahon or Mancini for the Orioles. Wow. Not an Oriole. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Not an Oriole. I was thinking Mountcastle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Mountcastle on there? No. Yeah. No. They have no Orioles. There's no Oriole on there. Not Cedric um, Mullins? Big Ced? No, Mancini was only 18. He was close. So last question of the day. How many home runs do you think the bat projects Cedric Mullins to hit the rest of the season? Eight. I was going to say 10. 10. Winner, winner. Britt, 10. 10 is the number. I think he goes over that. I, do too. I don't think he goes way over, but if you said pick a side over under of 10, maybe he pushes and you get your money back. But I think he gets 12, 13 maybe because I think the projections fail to adjust for the fact that he stopped switch hitting, right? There's information being fed into the system that tricks the system therefore i would take the over on mullins if that's where the line was at Uh, as you can see scrolling by if you're watching us on youtube be sure to hit the like button by the way you can get a subscription to the athletic for 3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels all the great reporting that eno and Britt and the entire team have been doing about sticky substances all available plus non-sticky stuff stories too lots of those other sports Oh my God! Read Stephen Nesbitt on uh, Bauer and Cole at UCLA. It was just excellent. Just reread, just read it this morning. That. I saw that come out a couple of days so ago. Good. I got to read that piece. Three ninety nine a month though is the price. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter. She's at Britt underscore Drolli. He's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can email us rates and barrels at theathletic.com. That is going to wrap things up for this episode. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. 